Hello and welcome to the Self-Consciousness Podcast. I am your host, Jennifer Way, and I'm so happy to see you. Again, you're looking great. What have you done? What have you been doing? It's working. All right. <laughs> I want to welcome you to this. This is the first in a series of three episodes that I am making about healing inner masculine. And I actually did not even realize that was an acronym. So yeah, I'm super, super witty. Um, this this episode is going to be exploring roles, roles the masculine plays within society. I'm going to go into really kind of why I'm doing something like this and why I feel like it's really important to hear these voices instead of just getting really angry with men, which I definitely found myself doing. So in an effort to be more responsible about my energy, this is about healing my inner masculine. And I do that with friends. So I hope you're excited. Talk to you inside. Hey, everybody. So you may have heard me talk about masculine and feminine. Um, I'm very drawn to these concepts, obviously. Um, and that's likely because of my upbringing, the environment I grew up in, and this representation that I took on in form. I'm just speaking as a white Jewish woman. I mean, I could be drawn to them because I was very confused about my place within the feminine masculine dynamic playing out in 80s American culture or because I'm pretty sure my mom wanted a son so she dressed me like a she dressed me like a him for the first five years of my life I was steered away from what I liked or what I was drawn to um it was an early lesson in that. I was actually really drawn to what would have been considered ultra-feminine at the time. Pink, frilly dresses, shiny shoes. I wanted to feel pretty. I chased boys, literally. I Like, even if they ran away, I chased them down. Or even if they called me a dog. I didn't know it at the time, but I held inherently feminine qualities. I was gentle, I was creative, kind, receptive, and open. I felt at home in nature. I appreciated beauty in all of its forms. I had really strong senses. I would spend time taking in sights and smells and textures and tastes, mingling that with a quick and expansive imagination. But as many little girls in the 80s learned... <laughs> these qualities that we're, you know, they're encouraged to be harvested, to be taken, to be taken advantage of. You, you can't exist without offerings, bringing something or giving away of oneself. And we all know what that sounds like. That sounds like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or I'm sorry. Can you, can you move? I don't have any or not. I felt like a cow on a dairy farm, like a factory, just raised for my milk, being drained of my nourishment and comfort. 
that would have been my choice to offer. But really being milked just to validate my existence, my energy siphoned and used up by those around me, whether this was through me comforting a parent because I knew what everyone needed or through being touched without permission or through coercion, being targeted by imbalanced adults or by bullies. I had already been drained by the time I was nine. I just needed to hide. I didn't feel comfortable being who or what I was. I didn't feel safe. And there was no sense of belonging anywhere, just for those who don't know. That's what happens when you're born a redhead. <laughs> you don't really find a tribe unless you go to Ireland. That was, that, was a, that was a moment for me. But without this sort of comfort within my body, I needed to escape it. I developed disordered eating habits and I started to develop skins or exteriors, just adjusting with whomever I met, not really connecting. And I started to reject all things or messaging related to being more feminine. In the 80s and the 90s, it was a very specific box that I felt pressured to fit into. And I realized early, I couldn't possibly. But I did try. I started rejecting the plumpness of my body, the ethnicity of my nose, the corrections needed in my mouth, press-on nails, ironed hair. Though I absolutely rejected wearing revealing or tight clothing because of body dysmorphia. I couldn't fit completely in the box, so I rejected what I was being programmed to show externally desperately hiding away in my overalls or in alternative subcultures which weren't particularly welcoming to girls either but I never stopped uh, obsessing over boys and a chubby insecure and frizzy haired redheaded girls were not exactly the standardized images of beauty it was more like Annie or Wendy's or Pippi Longstocking. I had already been disconnected from myself, so my, you know, basically this, my outpouring was always guided away from my center. I became disconnected even more by picking love interests or focusing on certain guys, but really picking them with my eyes and my brain in service to my ego further disconnected from my body, from my heart, my sexuality, and my spirit. I, I found myself engaging in unhealthy relationships, giving everything to someone. Absent of a heart and body connection, it turns out I fancied people who were not attracted to me <laughs> or who were attracted to me, but I missed all the signals because by puberty, I understood my role. And it was not the main character. And I, I call this this role, this was, this was a particular role that called to me at the particular frequency I was resonating in at the time. And that was a 
very insecure teenager. So this is the narrative I started to pick up on and highlight. This is the timeline that I engaged with. It's the story I told myself, the world I created. It became a world where I wasn't the main character. I was a sidekick at best. I was the target. I was too sensitive. I was the victim. And I can only say this now because I had to look deeply at my present day behavior of or a habit or a pattern that I can trace back into my history of forming a dynamic with another person where I cast myself as the victim. I mean, I was I was also drawn to highly narcissistic or absent people. I mean, I was repeating old patterns. One of the big ways I stop repeating patterns is by accepting these behaviors, not punishing myself for them over and over and over. I look at these behaviors. I engage in understanding that they are the manifestation of something I have to look at. I have to bring into the light something I have to inspect figure out what went wrong or what hurt and then gently sweep away the dust and bring it back into my heart when something is disconnected it doesn't work right we pull the plug out doesn't work i had to understand that i was disconnected to begin examining this on a more of a micro scale and that finding the connection back in usually does the trick. It's a combination of thought, feeling, and receiving. And finding and bringing back all the pieces by going back to the impact site. And I only know this as I consider what each part of my life leads to. How it helps me examine my inner workings in a deeper way. How I unearth and bring more of myself into light integrating it into body mind and spirit as I got older I found myself having difficulty with my relationships with the men in my life surprise um I had no brothers my dad left when I was nine I was very unfamiliar with men except only in contexts where they hurt me so as I was prone to certain narratives getting older I found that my anger grew as I studied feminism my eyes were opened in such a profound way I became drawn to all things feminism goddess anti-patriarchy eventually leading to of course when I went all woo-woo Uh, to a greater understanding of the divine feminine and how it shows up in myself, how to heal it through connecting back to the self, relearn connecting to and separating from other beings, creating boundaries, spaces for self-love, etc. So through my healing work, I think of it as I am trying to, god damn it, Read my text messages. 
No. <laughs> My husband just asked me if I wanted anything from Panda Express. And then he used the vomit emoji. Okay, sorry for that little interruption. Where was I? Sorry about that. Just wanted to include some real for you. That's probably all you'll ever hear about my husband. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, I think of this as trying to reclaim my light. I think I've, I've mentioned this in other episodes. Uh, for me, I don't, I'll say, I'll use the words because we use it now, but I don't necessarily think of it as like splintering or fracturing of self. I do think of it as expulsion, expelling a part of the self due to a need for safety. Anyway, so really, again, this is just about reclaiming our light. Um, You know, I started to recognize an unhealthy inner and internalized masculine after a series of past life regressions and Reiki sessions. And yes, I'm serious. It took a while for me to be able to say that without laughing. So I appreciate the sincerity in your listening right now. And yes, I do know what it sounds like. I just basically started to try. And honestly, I do believe that whatever comes up is meant to come up. And something like Reiki and something like a past life regression is really just to shake some stuff up. And whatever comes to the surface is really what you you deal with because you don't want to overwhelm yourself or your system. But when I do this work, I do this work for myself. So I started to track my internalized patriarchy and misogyny, as I've talked about many times before. I started to notice an unhealthy dynamic, though, within my inner masculine and inner feminine. It was just way off balance. And... As I do this work, I pay attention to kind of how I behave in certain situations. And when I find certain situations happening over and over, I recognize this now as something that I am creating. But I found myself so angry at men, blaming them for honestly not being more like women. I just, I sensed such an entitlement from every man I knew or came into contact with and I also realized I was allowing this behavior. And then whenever I tried to take up my space, so to speak, I would get very telling results. I was feeling all of this friction. So of course, I knew that this was showing up for a reason. Again, anything in my field or my experience is created by me. So what am I supposed to be looking at? It all pointed to my inner wounded masculine. I had to find out where the wounds were. I had to figure out what it meant for me to be fully embodied in my internal divine masculine. How that masculine interacts with my internal divine feminine. How can I recognize internalized colonialism or patriarchy or misogyny in my thoughts and words? Where did I get this idea from? Hence my exploration of 80s movies that I watched multiple times to literally figure out like where I got this idea. For months, I have been curious about this, talking to friends about it, talking to you guys about it. 
and really like trying to get a sense of a man's perspective and I have to say and I'm very excited to bring this to you some very cool and super brave souls have accepted the invitation to share a little about what masculinity means to them so my intention for this podcast series and my inquiries to some of the men that I know is truly that I am trying to heal my own inner masculine. I am fiercely committed to dismantling my own internalized patriarchy and I've found that hearing from men, showing sincerity, openness, and honesty seems to help activate my own inner masculine healing. So I do this for myself and the collective by exploring concepts of masculinity through personal experience. I wanted to know how they feel about things, especially the things I go hard on criticizing, like the American culture of toxic masculinity, how boys are raised to disconnect from emotion, obviously, and girls. Of course, I make all these general statements all the time, but I knew that I needed to listen to someone actually going through it. I mean, do I have my days when I want to punch every man in the balls? Yes. Feminism means I get to be a dick too. Do I have my days when I want to shake every woman, myself included, and scream, do you know how fucking powerful you are? You can just open your eyes and decide not to engage with this bullshit reality anymore. This stew of bullshit that we marinate in. It breaks down our fibers. We can wake up and operate at full power capacity on our own. Healed and complete. So we can finally play and create and reconnect. But okay, all of this is for future episodes. But right now, what is all of this show? After hearing their answers, which were somewhat varied, all I kept thinking was, I can't imagine having had these conversations or posing questions to men And having more than one or two of them open up so honestly with the answers even four years ago. So, hopefully, we can continue to ride this wave of progress. Thank you for listening. Welcome to part one, roles. I have to say I'm really well adjusted. (laughs) Either that or I'm just really good at faking it. I was witnessing a lot of challenges with relationships and really noticing the crumbling definitions of masculinity and I get the sense that the structure that men once relied on, a sense of certainty regarding success or survival, these were old formulas and they just don't hold up anymore. 
So I was asking myself, are guys well-adjusted or are they just really good at faking it? So I asked friends and acquaintances some personal questions and um, I was surprised and touched to listen to the answers I received. I had to listen without judgment. That was my exercise to really identify what jumps out at me and what elicits reactions And then I get to dig into why I had that reaction. So now I invite you to do the same as you hear from Jermaine, Mark, Ayub, Faisal, Loic, and Calvin. And to start us off, uh, we've got our wonderful love, Jermaine Jenkins. Hey, my name is Jermaine. I was born and raised in New Jersey. Uh, but my family's from Florida and Alabama, and I am a close friend of Jen. Um, sometimes I'm on the podcast, uh, but today I will be answering questions. Um, so let's start. Uh, so there were never really any conversations about, you know, what it was to be a man or what was expected of me uh, as a male. Um, but I mean, I did. I think TV strongly affected me. Um, I always had a TV in my room um, and cable, so. I grew up watching HBO and Showtime, and that kind of formed a lot of my opinions about, you know, I guess what I was supposed to do out in the world. Um, I mean, like everyone else, I mean, there, you know, I was taught that boys play with certain toys, like certain colors, Um, even though there were parts of me that kind of went against that. Um, Like in school, I definitely liked playing sports, but once I saw that the girls were um, dancing and doing drills, which I didn't, at the time I didn't know what drills were. It was just all dancing to me. I wanted to to do that. And I remember the day we were playing football and I said to my classmates, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go dance with them. And that led to me actually entering a, a talent show with them where it was a drill team. And I guess because I was the only guy it was um, we were incorrectly it was incorrectly labeled as my drill team, which I I I didn't know what I was doing, but it was fun. Um, and I was never made to feel bad about that. So a lot of the things growing up that I did feel bad, bad about was really just outside uh, influences. Um, for instance, I loved Jim and the holograms growing up. I uh, which is an 80s cartoon. If, if there's anybody that's not familiar with it, Google it. But um, loved, loved, loved it. But it was like my little secret. I never told any of my friends about it. Um, you know, my, my parents really weren't on top of what I was watching on TV. So, you know, there was never any any question why I was watching what could have been considered a girl cartoon, at least in my head, it was. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I really didn't receive a lot of pressure there. My parents really just cared about me doing well in school because um, being the last of seven um, and really later on, the only one to graduate high school and go to college, like that's really, that was really their only concern. Um, you know, my mom had uh, six boys, one girl. My dad had four girls. So, um, and I was the last one. So, I mean, they weren't really, they weren't really, uh, you know, concerned with whether or not I was just doing boy stuff. But, but yeah. Growing up, there were certain toys that boys could play with and certain toys that girls could play with, you know, Barbies, Power Rangers. But 
None of that ever bothered me. I didn't really think twice about it. But there was one thing in particular that I just felt, for whatever reason, was a girl thing, and I was embarrassed to want it. And that was a Spice Girls lollipop. The Spice Girls were a girl band. Boys weren't really okay to like them, but I didn't care about that. But there was this lollipop they made. It was a basic lollipop with just a Spice Girls wrapper, but it was the biggest thing in the world at the time for some reason, and I really wanted to try it, but I felt like I couldn't because it was a Spice Girls lollipop. So I remember one day, I don't know how I got one, but I got one, and I was like hiding it the absolute best I could. I was in the kitchen of my house, made sure everybody was in a different room, and I, I like grabbed it out of my bag and I threw out the wrapper and I buried it under more trash so nobody would ever find it. And I just sat there in the kitchen, secretly enjoying the Spice Girls lollipop that I was so embarrassed to have just because I was a boy. So my name is Ayub. I'm from France and my parents are from Morocco. First of all, the thing was being a man in my family and in every other Moroccan family, it's to be level-headed and to be the one who brings money, to the, the one who brings food, the one who assume his family. Hello, hello. My name is Faisal Mohammed. I am originally from Ghana in West Africa. Growing up in Ghana, um, you know, men are not supposed to be feminine in the slightest and it's super shunned. Um, so society or my society or my culture has sort of put a stigma on how men are supposed to be. And as of now, I have grown out of that mindset and am able to embrace my feminine side and not be afraid to show love or affection to my male counterparts and, and not put any sort of stigmas on who or how I'm supposed to be. I grew up in the suburbs of Paris during the 80s and early 90s. Um, my father and my mother, they are both Catholics and they raised me around those ideas. But even if I don't believe in them, I think it played a little factor in how I grew up. They taught me to respect intelligence rather than brute force. My father was, he was cleaning, cooking and playing with us. So there was no 50 mom at home feeling in our home. He didn't really tell us that he loved us. Well, in fact, probably never really did. Didn't really hug us. But anyway, he had that playful and whimsical thing about him that made me know that he was loving me. Crying at home was never a mark of weakness, neither greatly appreciated. But not because I was a boy, just because I should know how to behave. My mother, she had a heart condition and she was very anxious and depressed, but also very loving. And she was asking for hugs and kisses all the time. She was teaching with handicapped kids and she taught me that showing weaknesses and sadness 
and marginally feelings was okay. Growing up, I could see the flaws in both of them. But I think that helped me trying to find something in between where I could be comfortable crying, but also that I needed to be strong. And I think that that is what makes a man. What do you miss about being a little boy? I think, um, I mean, this changed about two years ago when, and I guess that also comes with age when you just stop giving a shit about what people think. <laughs> But prior to that, um, you know, I missed being young and just being carefree and not, not ashamed. You know, if I want to, if I want to, you know, I used to want to sing, um, and act. So, you know, my voice was, my singing voice was so, so I, I needed a lot of work, but you know, I wasn't ashamed to sing in public. I joined the choir. Um, my buddies and I formed a, a little group and we tried to sing our, our little hearts out hitting, uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> And I entered into plays and musicals, um, you know, without worrying about what, what, I mean, even though I was very self-conscious growing up, um, the one thing that I had no shame about was my, you know, talent, um, or, or just building talent. Like, you know, if I want to sing and if my voice isn't, um, the best to get the lead, then what do I have to do to, to, to get there? And I'll work on that. Um, I wanted to act. Um, and I did all of that. Uh, but then it came at a point where it was like, okay, now I need to make money and wanting to get my family out of the projects. It was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get, I have to go where the money is. Um, and you know, then life became serious and I was scared to really venture off into, um, the things that kind of really fed my soul and, and, and um, entertain me. But again, that changed about two years ago, uh, when I decided that, uh, yeah, you got to do what you love. I mean, it's, you know, it's, um, and you can also do what makes you money as well. Like, I mean, you got bills to pay, but there's no reason you can't carve time to, um, to do more. So, you know, even though I work in human resources, um, there's no reason why I can't, uh, venture into the voiceover world Um, cause there is money to be made there, maybe not consistently, but you know, it's possible. And you know, what matters is that it's fun. So like, I've gone kind of going back to that. So as of right now, I can't say there's anything that I miss. And if, if there is something that I miss about being, a, a you know, younger, a boy, then, um, I'm gonna figure out how adult Jermaine can do it. <laughs> The one thing I miss most about being a boy is just how low the barrier to becoming friends with someone actually was. Really, if you were just in the same class as somebody, you were probably friends or at least good acquaintances. As you get older, especially post-college, it's just harder to have these connections with people. You have to really go out of your way to build a relationship. But when you're younger, it's just as easy as Well, he lives around the corner from me, so we're friends now. And that's really all it was. I had a kid who just lived down the street. He's a rabbi now, and we would have never had anything in common if I met him in the last 20 years. 
but growing up, he lived down the street from me, so he was one of my friends. And I always had a best friend. All throughout elementary school, it, it changed from year to year. One year it was one guy, another year it was another guy, but I always had somebody who I was really close to. And I don't know if I've had that in a long time, actually. It's a very rare thing to be close, to have that one person who is just always there. But when I was younger, it was really just the easiest thing in the world. It was, it was practically a given. And that's definitely the thing I miss more than anything else. Mm, I don't miss anything about being a little boy because when I was a little boy, everything I wanted was to emancipate from my family. And that's what I did. I miss being a little boy. I really do the simple things, the pleasure of not being aware of death, of the future, just being interested in games and friends and the next holidays. And having kids, I can see it even brighter now. I can feel how they have fun, how they don't care and not caring. What I miss about being a little boy. I miss that feeling. What I do miss is the freedom, the freedom to be creative, to think, to explore, and just be, and just live. The freedom of worry and um, less responsibilities. Uh, and also just the, the freedom to know that anything is possible. Um, I think as we grow up, we start to think that there are a lot of different roadblocks or there are certain specific ways to do things where as a as a little boy anything is possible um you know one of the things i miss about being a boy is the imagination you know being free from being influenced and infected by other people's thoughts you know our mind is truly a womb it is a place where the masculine and feminine energy come together to give birth two forces coming together to create and Children are fascinating. You know, one thing about children that we understand is that they live through a free state of love. They are truly the etheric light. So children smile before they're influenced and the love energy passes through them before it passes through you because the world is a mirror. So the love energy passes through the smile, through the child and the child smiles, and then it passes through you, and you smile. So you marry each other because the world is nothing but a reflection of who we are. One thing that's fascinating about children is they don't even know they're poor until you tell them they're poor. Children don't think, they just do. They don't ponder of whether they want to paint a picture or they want to create. They just create, you know. They live in a, in a state of pure activation. They actually live through the faculty of will right they bring their imagination into the physical world instantaneously right they exist as if they already have these things the child jumps in a cardboard box and says mommy i'm in a ferrari i'm on a racetrack and he truly believes and he makes an emotional attachment to the cardboard box so they actually will into their existence and use the technology that is their body in order to experience what is in their mind. So that pure freedom, that lack of fear is what I miss. You know, the ability to just 
tap into energy and not allow it to be potential energy because a lot of us are just activating on potential energy or sitting on potential energy. But therefore, you know, instead of activating it and living through it, because we have created a part of ourselves, an adversary in our own minds that is preventing us from living, you know, what we are actually experiencing our inner reality. It's interesting to think about how much boys are impacted by expectations of filling certain roles in societies and how deeply they are affected by this separation from the childhood self. I want to extend my deepest gratitude to you, the listener. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and I want to really thank Jermaine, Mark, Ayub, Loic, Faisal, and Calvin for their contributions to this project. Um, I'll be including their Instagram handles below in the show notes. You will hear more from them in part two about balance and part three of the HIM him series, healing. The old expressions of masculinity are changing and I am more than happy to make space for it within me and within, within everyone I know. I hope this stirred something within you whether it was frustration with me talking about patriarchy again <laughs> or feeling moved by the words of these men who are exploring how to redefine manhood for themselves. Thank you so much, everyone. <laughs>